It's time to take a journey to find your courage, break through your limits, and master your destiny. It's time for Ken D. Foster's Voices of Courage. Ken brings you some of the most courageous people on the planet that will inspire greatness within you and change your life for the better. It's time to see the unseeable, know the unknowable, and do the impossible. It's time for Voices of Courage. And here's your host, Ken D. Foster. Well, welcome, everybody. Hey, listen, uh, I have a question. You know, this show's all about courage. So what do you think? You think everybody possesses courage, or is it only in a few brave hearts? Well, listen, I found that uh, only those that can be vulnerable can express courage. If we can't see our weaknesses, we can't bring forth our courage to know our strengths. This is Ken D. Foster, and our show today is called The Courage to Be a Hero and Transcend Your Limitations. Wow. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. You know, right now, we just uh, got on uh, another 40 stations or so. So, we have 102 stations out there. So, if you're new to our show, I uh, want to welcome you. This show is all about helping you to look at yourself a little bit. Look at your life. Look at uh, how you're showing up and um, and improve it. You know, so if that's something that's important to you, maybe important to your family, maybe important to uh, your community, um then you're in the right place. So today, again, we're talking about uh, courage. And, um, you know, here's the thing. You know, in today's society, uh, we have a lot of people expressing themselves on social media, at events, on TV, and radio. And at first glance, it might even look to be courageous uh, acts. But as I take a closer look, at least courage... A lot of people don't meet the criteria for courage. It doesn't take courage to complain on social media. It doesn't take courage to make fun or gossip about someone on the internet. It doesn't take courage to show off uh, some extravagant behavior. And it doesn't take courage to, you know, steal someone's reputation with false claims or sensationalisms in the news or argue with somebody or bully with somebody. No, that's courageous, all right? Um, in fact, they're cowardless uh, acts, in my opinion. But, um, you know, what is courage then? Well, you know, courage is not necessarily just an action. Courage derives from the French word cour, which means of the heart. And therefore, a deeper meaning, which I like to imply, means uh, heartfulness. So when I'm speaking of courage, I'm talking about the heart's hunger and longing to be real and to be on purpose and be connected with our true nature. So I want to express upon you and impress upon you that courage is not merely an act of will. It's a robust presence that dwells within all of us. Um, and it's a powerful force. In fact, it's a force that if you apply it in your life, will take you to levels that you've never thought possible. So what does facilitate courage? Well, I was thinking about this morning and I was thinking about a story of a friend of mine that uh, came over to my house, and um, he was um, he was hungover. And uh, I asked him, you know, I looked at him, and and I just he he looked pathetic. And I said, hey, you know, is drinking is that become a problem in your life? Now I've never had this conversation with him at at all, but I just asked him, and he says. He said, uh, yeah, it, it has become a problem. And I said, well, have you ever asked about, have you ever thought about quitting drinking? And uh, I, he said, well, I've thought about it a million times, but I've never done it. 
He said, and I asked him, would you benefit from maybe going to a recovery meeting? He said, well, I thought about that too, but I've, I've never done it. And um, that day, um, we fought, fought, called up and found a, a recovery meeting for him. And um, he went, and you know, he's 22 years now sober. In fact, this guy... I see him still. He's a friend of mine, and he uh, claims he tells everybody I saved his life. Well, I don't think I saved his life. What I think happened is that I was vulnerable, and he was defenseless. He was at a place that he could hear something new, and he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so he stepped. Uh, he stepped into a courageous. I stepped into a courageous act because I felt you know this is uncomfortable. The friend I've known for. 15 years who used to be my boss <laughs> and uh you know and at, you know so we have a new relationship though as a result so courage is about doing things that you're afraid to do it's uh and doing them anyway you know didn't feel comfortable for me to start asking him about this but you know what it was the right thing to do so courage also i think in my mind we celebrate a sense of fearlessness within ourselves when we when we're courageous and what I mean by that is we have to step into being fearless. So fearless is kind of an interesting subject in my book. Um, a lot of times, you know, I, I would be walking around life thinking, man, I'm doing these great things. I'm a fearless guy. But the truth was, I was running a lot of fear. And I think a lot of people are running a lot of fear, and they don't even know it. But, um, you know, you can make a choice. We can all make a choice to let go of our fears. And... Um, one of the ways that I, I start, you know, I start to affirm it. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. So if you start affirming that you're fearless, right, what's going to happen is probably anything unlike that's going to start showing up in your life. I remember once I prayed, uh, I prayed and I asked, I said, you know, I want to be more patient. And what showed up in my life, every time I got on the freeway, there were big trucks in front of me. In fact, if I even got on the freeway, because it was like 20-minute lines to get on every freeway stay, right? So I was like, whoa, okay. Well, same thing kind of happens with courage. You know, if you start to affirm, I'm fearless, what happens is going to happen is a lot of things that you didn't even know you were afraid of come up. But I think this. I think we can all make a choice to be fearless and to let go of our all of our fears as a conscious choice, as a, as a place where we choose to no longer live in any kind of fear, no longer allow fear to run your life, and no longer use fear to protect you, and no longer use fear to create drama in your life, and no longer use fear as truth. So if you're, you start to claim yourself as a person who's a fearless all of a sudden you'll have some different insights in your life. At least that's how it shows up for many of my clients. You know, I've been doing this for about 24 years with clients of all walks of life. I work with business startups and I work with individuals that are running uh, multi-million, hundred million dollar operations. And it's kind of funny. It doesn't really matter what level you're at. At some level, there's a lot of fear in people's lives. If you're at the $100 million level, a lot of times I get people that are fear are fearful of losing their money. I get fearful of making the right choices. I get people that are living in relationships that they haven't been, uh, what I want to say, intimate or vulnerable with in years. So therefore, those relationships are falling apart. At the other levels, at the people that are just starting out in business, I have people that are fearful of taking risk, of taking making choices that would actually uh, 
uh, grow their businesses. So, you know, we all have a sense of fear. Um, but here, what is fear? Fear comes from the small self. It doesn't come from um, our higher self. It comes from a place of wanting to protect ourselves, wanting not to lose what we have, wanting to to not let go of something that we think is uh, precious or important to us. So it comes from a lot of attachment a lot of times. And a lot of times fear also is a place that I found, it's just a habit. You know, have you ever woken up in the morning and uh, all of a sudden you're like, oh God, you know, I don't even feel like getting out of bed. I think a lot of people do that. But you know, if you underlying that is, what are you afraid of, right? You know, or has fear just become a habit in your life? I think we have to look at this, all right? So, why am I even talking about this? Well, I'm talking about it because I think that all of us can improve our lives in several ways. And I remember myself about, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, I thought, geez, I'd like to go and run a marathon. And... um you know, and I, I, but at the time I had, uh, uh, I had a leg injury that I'd been nursing, nurturing for about 10 years, a knee injury. But I decided I'm going to overcome that knee injury. And I went out in the sands of Mission Beach and I ran for about uh, maybe 100 yards. And I thought, wow, I can do that. No, no pain. And I said, I'm going to set up uh, for 30 days. I'm just going to keep running every day. I'm going to run a little bit. And I did, and I met people along the way that helped me. And within uh, maybe uh, a year or so, I was at a point where I could run, run a 5K marathon. And, um, and I did. And I have to tell you, at every step of the way, there was fear. Fear that I'd hurt my legs. Fear that I would uh, um, not be able to finish the races. Fear that I would uh, die, have a heart attack. All kinds of weird crap, right? Well, you know, I, I, as soon as I got that that was all made up, I said, well, maybe I can do a, a half marathon. And I did that. And I thought, well, maybe I can do a, a full marathon. And I did that. And well, maybe I can become a triathlete. Well, I did that. All right. So listen, fear is false evidence appearing real. And I can tell you, every fear we have is pretty much made up. Yeah, maybe there's a few. You don't want to run out in the middle of a street where there's a truck going by. But outside of that, fear is made up. Listen, coming up in my show next, I've got Tracy Sundrum, the co-founder of the Rock and Roll Marathon here in San Diego. I'm going to pick his brains. We're going to find out how this guy got fearless. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. There comes a time when you know you need to restart and regain control of your life. A time to seek freedom from the anxiety, addiction, and other issues that may be bringing you down. A time to heal and reemerge as the real you. Villa Kalima is a holistic residential recovery program exclusively for women for individualized treatment. Villa Kalima offers proven clinical and holistic therapies for the mind, body, and spirit to assure sustainable recovery. Villa Kalima focuses on healing the cause, not temporarily masking symptoms. It's the only way to truly recover and find yourself again. Villa Kalima is located in a beautiful, peaceful, resort-like setting and is a licensed and accredited residential treatment center accepting a variety of health insurances. Start your healing and renewal today by calling Villa Kalima in La Costa, California at 760-814-8214. 760-814-8214. Or 
800-584-8214. Villa Kalima, a place for transformation. with Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. Learn more about Ken, how to be a guest on the show, and sponsorship opportunities by visiting voicesofcourage.us. And now your host, Ken D. Foster. Well, welcome back. We're talking about the courage to be a hero in your own life and maybe transcend some of your limitations. Before I get to my guest here, I'd like to let you know, I want to give a shout out for our sponsor, Women's Wisdom. They're San Diego's premier networking and relationship building group for purpose-driven, soul-inspired female entrepreneurs. You can find them at womenswisdom.net. Also, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. And if you're new to this show... We're all about empowering our audiences to step into more brilliance in their life, transform their lives, become an unstoppable force that inspires other people along the way. And you can find us on the web at VoicesOfCourage.us or just Google Voices of Courage and become an insider uh, to get some of our uh Giveaways, uh, free seminars, workshop tickets. Got a whole bunch of stuff coming up on our insider um, group. So just check us out again, voicesofcourage.us or Google us. All right. In studio with me, I have Tracy Sundland. And Tracy is best known for being one of the founders of the Rock and Roll Marathon series. Uh, He founded it in 1998. And which uh, has grown to 29 events in 15 states and uh, six other countries with over a half million runners competing each year. He has over four decades of involvement in virtually every aspect of sports, track and field, long distance running, race walking, including coaching at Georgetown Colorado and USC. He is coached at the international levels with more than 100 men and women in just about every event from 15 countries who have represented their countries in the Olympic Games and other international competitions. And I am welcome. I'm so happy to have you in my studio. It's a thrill to be here. Well, coach. Okay. Let's get it. You know, you coach a lot of folks uh, out there that uh, have probably had their share of challenges or fears or misunderstandings of what their their potential is um how do you get people to shift (laughs) it's an individual situation with everybody Mm -hmm. um you know where you need to get them you know you can recognize their their talent either physically or emotionally and you can recognize their weaknesses. You got to work on their strengths. You fall back on their strengths. You work on their weaknesses. Um, if it was simple, your mother could do it. Yeah. And there isn't a, an answer other than being persistent, believing. And making sure they don't set any limits on themselves. Mm. Um, It's remarkable what people do. And not just at the the Olympic level. That's probably 
that's the most visible. But you mentioned the, you know, running your first marathon. You mentioned that saga of yours. Right. And uh, we see that every day. And it's the coolest thing. Um, Doesn't it take courage to do that? I mean, I it I, it seemed like I had to be very vulnerable because I don't think there's any courage without vulnerability. Yes, it takes courage. Um, or it just takes getting out of your own way. Hmm. The reality is, physically, running a marathon is honestly not that big a deal. But in your head, it's a huge deal. And I tell people that when they complete their first marathon, I don't care how slow, how fast, I don't care how bad it went that day, it'll be one of the greatest days of their lives because they overcame their own head. Their own head, yeah. If more than anything else, I mean, I remember when I did my first marathon, and at that point, I mean, I mean, candidly, I've done just about anything and everything in athletics that one could ever hope for. And all I wanted to do was just run eight minutes a mile, whatever it was. Right. And I felt like I'd been shot by a machine gun for the last six miles. <laughs> I was passed by 2,000 people because it was in the New York City Marathon. It was 80 right. or 81. Right. And they give you the results the stats, in, the, in yeah. the newspaper, the Times the next day. And I know what pace I was on and I know where I finished. And 2,000 people passed me. And yet I felt like I was standing on... Yeah. a victory stand with USA on my chest when I finished. Yeah. And it's just a remarkably cool deal. It um, is. You know, I I, uh, I can relate to that story, uh, Tracy. I, uh, that first half marathon that I did, I hit, I hit mile nine. And I'll never forget mile nine. <laughs> Every negative thought that I've ever had in my entire life hit me at mile nine. I mean, it just almost crippled me. But I kept putting one foot in front of the other, and, and I finished. And like you said, it was, it was a, a day of celebration. And <clears throat> when I first started this stuff, um, you know, in another century, um, <laughs> people tried to run. The, the, the marathon and, and long-distance running was a different thing than it is today. Back then, you ran 90 miles a week. You tried to break three hours in the marathon, in the marathon. We hadn't invented a half marathon yet. Courses were closed at four hours. We hadn't invented goo or Gatorade or anything of that nature. And God forbid, everybody, there were absolutely no porta potties on a course at all. Period. Well, that's why you had to Full run stop. it. You had to run it in three hours then, right? <laughs> that is a point. Four hours, you're really pushing that. <laughs> today, today. People run 20 miles a week. They think they change their life. Right. They run five and a half hours for a marathon. People think you're a god. Right. These courses are moving restaurants. We have more porta potties on a course than exist in some cities. <laughs> in the past, in the past, all they were were these lean, mean, Type A male running machines. Right. Today, you're they're your neighbors. Right. And that's cool. I mean, I'm very rock and roll. Really helped do that. Was the catalyst to start with? Yeah. 
there hadn't been, believe it or not, a new major marathon in 13 years mm-hmm. when Tim Murphy, myself, and a couple others came up with this thing. Is is uh, marathoning today, is it is it a growing sport or is it a dying sport? What What's going on with the numbers? Dying is the wrong word. It's, it is shrinking. I think long-distance running as a rule is shrinking. Um, today's Today's millennials or the younger set look for something different athletically. Um, there are too many events out there. Um, those, though, the ones that are succeeding um, are the special ones. Yeah. And you create special events with a team of people who are passionate about that space and the money follows and the events grow and it works. You know, I, uh, one of the things I want to ask you, and, and I don't know if we'll have time in this segment to get it f- complete, but what is the, uh, the mindset of the, uh, the Olympic athlete? What, you know, and I know there's a lot of mindsets, but what is that? What are those core pieces that seem to help them to achieve over and above uh, that the rest of the population seems to be able to do. What what is that? Is it a drive? Is it a willpower? Is it uh, were they brought There's up two in some pieces. environment? There's two you pieces to it. Yeah. Um, let's just start by understanding these are physical marvels. These these folks are just absolutely unique. Um. And when they're competing at the Olympic Games, candidly, that to them might be the same way as competing in a high school meet just to somebody else. So physically, they're remarkably gifted. Well, listen, I, I got to take a break. Okay. So we, we're going to come right back, and I want to hear the second part of that uh, that answer. Talking here with uh, Tracy Sundland, and he is the co-founder of the Rock and Roll Marathon. And we're talking about uh, beliefs, choices, and how to take the right actions in your life. We'll, we'll be right back. We'll be back with more Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. Are you feeling stuck or in a holding pattern with your business or life and you're not doing the things you want or love? Then at some point, you're going to be faced with a decision. You'll either choose to keep living in your comfort zone and risk a life of mediocrity or increase your courage, step into your power and forge into the unknown where everything new becomes possible. If you're truly ready to live masterfully, then you need Ken D. Foster's newest book, The Courage to Change Everything, Strategies and Wisdom to Transform Your Life One Day at a Time. This powerful but simple guide provides you with 365 days of life-transforming wisdom, profound questions, and action steps that will increase your strength and open the doors to success. Stop wondering why your business or life isn't working. The answers are available now. Imagine if you had more courage or another chance to start following your dreams. To pick up your copy of The Courage to Change Everything, visit thecouragetochangeeverything.com. That's thecouragetochangeeverything.com. Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. Learn more about Ken, how to be a guest on the show, and sponsorship opportunities by visiting voicesofcourage.us. And now your host, Ken D. Foster. Well, we're back. We're in studio with uh, Rock and Roll Marathon uh, 
co-creator, Tracy Sundlum. And uh, the show today is called The Courage to Be a Hero and Transcend Your Limitations. I want to give a shout out to another one of our uh, sponsors. You know, as a business owner, your online presence is more important than ever. People look you up online before they pick up the phone. And that's why the right image of yourself and the branding of your business is vital. And I've come across one of the best photographers and branding experts in the San Diego area, although she does uh, work uh, throughout the United States. Her name is Ann Landstrom, and the company is called AnnPhotography.com. I recommend you give her a call. She promises to give you images that will bring out the best in you and your business. And I have to tell you, she's rebranded one of my sites, and it's uh, it looks a lot better than I, uh, I've ever looked. So she can make you look about 10 years younger, so that's pretty cool. Uh, again, it's anphotography.com, 760-610-6263, And uh, also, again, I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Voices of Courage. We're a show here to really inspire you to bring out your own greatness and brilliance and make a difference in the world. So thanks so much for being here. Listen, I'm in studio with Tracy Sundlun. And uh, I want to just mention something. You know, he had some recent honors, uh, and and he was inducted into the Running USA Hall of Champions, and he was uh, selected as the head manager of the United States men's track and field team for 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. So, um, Tracy, congratulations! That that was a big that was a big deal. Was that how was that for you? It was cool. I mean, I. I've gone, been in the Olympics in 72 in one fashion or another um, as a coach or a manager of other countries. But to represent the United States, to be the team leader of the men's track for the United States, there's nothing in the world like it. Yeah. Representing your country yeah. is just a remarkable deal. Feels good, doesn't it? And the world focuses on the Olympics. It focuses on nothing else athletically, right. but the Olympics. Right. I mean, you're walking in the opening ceremonies and people are texting you. They're seeing you, some old guy with white hair, walking in a crowd of hundreds of people. No, it, it's, it's an interest. It's the only time you'll ever be picked out. <laughs> That's great. Well, listen, before I took a break, we were talking about the uh, what sets the Olympians. Um, a, 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 maybe above is the word. Then the average person out there. One, you said they have the body type. That is just these masterful bodies. What else do they generally well, have? Clearly in any endeavor, in this case it's athletics, physically they just have to be God's gifts. Mm. But there's a lot of people with God's gifts. When I coached, I would ask three questions when I was recruiting and deciding whether we were going to give somebody a scholarship. First question, why do you do what you do? Somebody that tells me, Oh, it's fun. I'm good at it. <clears throat> Bad answer. Right. Somebody that tells me it's my ticket out of Bakersfield, no offense, Bakersfield, or South Central, or when I win is the only time my parents love me. I mean, some answer that they deserve to be on the couch. No, they're driven. Hmm. They got to want it more than anybody else. Hmm. Second, and perhaps most important, what I'd like to have them to dinner translated, were they brought up well? Do they have character? 
because it is only people with character who achieve to their greatest potential on the greatest stages when everything else is equal, when talent is equal, when it's just somehow they have to perform at their best when it truly counts. You look at results of any event, you don't have to set an Olympic record or a world record or an American record or any sort of thing right. to win. Right. Historically, as a rule, all you have to do is do what you did in East Puckyboo when it didn't count. Right. Do it again when it counts. Right. And so this is character. And that transcends whether it's athletics, whether it's business, whatever. And number three, what do you think? Well, the number three, from a training perspective, is this the right location? the right venue for this individual to achieve to their ultimate potential. You don't have to have gone to Harvard to be president of the United States. We had one from Whittier. Wasn't so good, but... And we That's got my one hometown, Whittier. Yeah, I know but, that guy. <laughs> but... the So each, each venue, each place, each school has things that define it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. At at SC, mm -hmm. um, I used to take them all to Heritage Hall, which was mm -hmm. their athletic building. We have gold medals and Heisman's and the stuff in there. But there's also a railing. It's an atrium building. And on that railing, on the second floor, were all these bronze discs. You got your name on a bronze disc with your sports symbol if you did one of three things and only those three things. You want an individual NCAA championship, not an AAU championship, not second, not a team championship, an individual NCAA championship. Second, you won an Olympic medal. Not make the Olympic team, won an Olympic medal. And third, if you were first team All-American in those sports, that, that made a difference, football and basketball. Not second team, first team. This defined what the, what the environment was about. Didn't mean that they didn't congratulate you if you were second team. Right. Or you got it was second. just the criteria. But this is the place. This is where the bar was. Mm -hmm. And at some point in that soliloquy, the kid was either there's this flash of intimidation or they were picking out their spot on the railing. And that's okay. This is the right place. Every place, every environment is conducive to certain individuals. So do you, do you find a lot of what you did and are doing at uh, coaching at the top levels um, apply to everyday life? I mean, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, someone has to have passion, they have to have character, and they have to create the right environment or have, be in the right environment for them, for, them, for them to really excel. Well, A, I don't coach anymore. I passed my sell-by date years ago. Okay. But... The answer is absolutely. Athletics are an academic and social tool. If you, at, what, at every level, and if somebody just yells, go throw out the ball and congratulate the winners, it's worthless. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, you know, you're, you're truly using it to bring out somebody. I mean, the beautiful thing about track and swimming to a degree as opposed to other sports, you can win all the time. It's easy to coach it. Yes, you were still dead meat wagon last, 
But in this last week, you improved. You ran a little faster. Yes, you ran slower, but you beat that person you didn't beat last week. How do we just keep feeding them? Right, right. And no. And if we keep that in perspective, um, no, athletics well, you know, are Well, you know what I get, what I get too, and we're, we're just about out of time here, but uh, what I get is that, uh, you know, that, what, that analogy you're using, you know, you can, you know, you can always win. <laughs> you can always win. Um, and there's always something to shift inside, usually. You know, shift inside, meaning maybe you have to go work out a little harder. Maybe you need to let go of something that, uh, a limitation that you've been holding on to. Maybe you need to get in touch with why you're doing this, your passion. And, and that seems to make the changes, uh, at least when I'm coaching in business, right? And I got a feeling it's the same in athletics. I, think- I got about 15 seconds to wrap it up. Oh, I can't do it in 15 seconds. I'm a marathoner. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a fascinating, it is an fascinating thing that you're doing and, and coaching and trying to bring out somebody's ultimate potential. It's, it's life fulfilling. It is life fulfilling. Tracy Sunlam, thank you for being here in studio with me. I really appreciate it. I wish I had more time. I wish I'd taken the whole hour with you because I'd like to pick your brain more. But uh, I hope you come back and do this with me. I very much look forward to it. Okay. We'll be right back. And uh, we'll be talking about, uh, we got a new book coming out uh, for my next guest. It's called Minch Marks. And Joshua Hammerman, Rabbi Joshua Hammerman, will be on the show. So we'll be right back. We'll be back with more Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. Attention business owners. The feeling of being overwhelmed, stressed out, and facing difficult business challenges goes hand in hand with being an entrepreneur. But there are solutions, and it's time to explore the possibilities. You work hard as an entrepreneur. Give yourself the break you deserve. Ken D. Foster is the business coach for you. Ken has over 21 years of experience with leaders just like you who trust to share what is truly going on in their business and that thing called life. You're invited to set up a free confidential consultation with Ken. His wisdom, guided methods, and unique strategies will bring you to new heights and breakthrough obstacles. Visit KenDFoster.com to set up your free confidential consultation. It's time to achieve your dreams because you deserve a successful business and a balanced, happy life. Sound great? Find out how to make this happen. Visit KenDFoster.com. That's KenDFoster.com. KenDFoster.com. There comes a time when you know you need to restart and regain control of your life. A time to seek freedom from the anxiety, addiction, and other issues that may be bringing you down. A time to heal and re-emerge as the real you. Villa Kalima is a holistic residential recovery program exclusively for women for individualized treatment. Villa Kalima offers proven clinical and holistic therapies for the mind, body, and spirit to assure sustainable recovery. Villa Kalima focuses on healing the cause, not temporarily masking symptoms. It's the only way to truly recover and find yourself again. Villa Kalima is located in a beautiful, peaceful, resort-like setting and is a licensed 
and accredited residential treatment center accepting a variety of health insurances. Start your healing and renewal today by calling Villa Kalima in La Costa, California at 760-814-8214. 760-814-8214. Villa Kalima, a place for transformation. With Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. Learn more about Ken, how to be a guest on the show, and sponsorship opportunities by visiting voicesofcourage.us. And now your host, Ken D. Foster. Well, we got an amazing show going today. It's called The Courage to Be a Hero and Transcend Your Limitations. On the uh, phone with me today, I have uh, Rabbi Joshua Hammerman, and he has a new book out, which I can hardly wait to talk to you about, Joshua. It's called Minch Marks, and uh, want to find out how we can all be a, a, a mensch in this uh, in this world. Robert uh, Rabbi Hammerman is a spiritual leader of the Temple Beth El in Stamford, Connecticut, and the winner of the 2008 Rockower Award for Excellence in Jewish Journalism and the 2018 Religion New Association Award for Excellence in Commentary. He's a regular contributor to the New York Jewish Week, the Times of Israel, the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, and the Religion News Service. And his personal essays have also appeared in the New York Times Magazine and the Washington Post. Rabbi Hammerman, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Hey, I'm I'm loving your book here. This uh, why why'd you write the book? Why'd you write the book? Well, in some ways, it's um, it's the culmination of three decades of service uh, to my congregation and in the rabbinate sort of looking back, trying to find some of the common themes and uh, tie them all together. But I think in these, what I call untethered times, um, it's especially necessary to pay tribute to the qualities of, a, of a, an excellent person, a good person, something that we would call in, in Jewish terms a mensch. Well, there, I, you know what? I, I think we have to look for them. I know there's good people out there everywhere. You know, and yet I think we can really get lost in, um, uh, you know, just turning on the news, you can get lost, right? It's all about death and destruction, the greatest storm coming in, and who did what to whom, and uh, political uh, jargon that, uh, you know, the left is polarized, the right's polarized. So how, how do you become a mensch within, or stay a mensch within this world? Well, you know, the, the thing about a mensch is that it, I mean, to, if you call Michael Jordan a good basketball player— um, that's only the beginning. So when we call a person of character a good person, that's really not touching the essence of it. So Jews have this word called mensch that I'd love to see trending, that I'd love to see sort of get out there um, and, and be uh, meaningful to, to lots of other people. It means so many things. It means love and kindness and honesty and and enthusiasm and optimism and responsibility and humility and you know, self-control, spirituality. You can go on and on and on. Sort of like how the, um, uh, the Eskimos have 50 words for snow. We have uh, about 50 things that this one word can mean, and it needs to, needs to start trending. 
Well, it does need to start trending. And how do we how do we get that to start trending? I know you wrote the book to get it to start trending. You know, and I I, I think somewhere you said you know I I'd like Mensch to be uh, uh, be as familiar as a bagel, right? That everybody knows what a bagel is. Everybody knows what a Mensch is. Um, yeah, so- absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing is to naturalize it as you know, and as, as part of American English. A lot of people, a lot of um, a lot of periodicals still um, italicize it as a foreign import. So yeah, like like bagel and and like kvetch and like chutzpah. I'd like to think that uh, it can become the next big Yiddish thing. Okay, so what's the first step in becoming a mensch? Well, the first step is interesting. You you had uh, you know your prior guest. It, it, it's really to transcend your limitations, but also to to grow from failure and to have the courage to uh, be able to see oneself, um, you know, objectively, to look in the mirror and say, this is who I am and this is how I can improve. Because all the qualities I mentioned before, another important one is, is fallibility. To be a mensch is to fail, but then to transcend that failure and to move onward and upward. You know, we've got a lot of people that have failed in our prison system, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, if you if you're walking into a, a, a let's say uh, you know a, a one of the systems in uh, in your state, um, how would you how would you teach people about, about this character about being stepping in to a to a powerful character? How how do how do we teach people that? Well, I, I think you have to teach by example, and um, that's one thing I try to do in in the book. So I talk about situations where I've had to overcome my own limitations and my own failures, and, um, and, and that there's always a second chance. Um, we have a concept in Judaism called teshuva, repentance, which is, comes into play especially on the high holidays. And, you know, you were talking about marathons. You, I could never run a marathon at this stage, but I definitely have to deal with them on the high holidays and giving lots of sermons. So uh, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Jewish New Year, we talk about trying to look at oneself as in process, as, uh, as not a completed product, but as always moving onward and upward um, to greater levels of, of personal heroism um, through overcoming our own faults and our failures. So I, I try to do that by example and, and you know, to take myself as a clergy person off of the pedestal and be the fellow traveler. So I might discuss with, um, with someone in, in one of the prisons you know, my own failings, obviously, they wouldn't be necessarily the same as that person's, but uh, in my own mind, um, some of them were, were very significant, and how I had to have a lot of patience and courage to, uh, you know, to overcome them. That's good. Well, listen, um, I, I, you know, I'll just let you know, I don't know how old you are, uh, Rabbi Hammerman, but I was 42 when I started my first marathon, so yeah, there's hope for everybody here. Yeah, I'm uh, about a couple of decades older, but uh, but in spirit, I'm, I'm definitely um, somewhere where you are. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, um, failure, and and I think failure is such a big. Uh, it's a you know I don't I don't think anything happens for any of us uh, without being humble enough to fail and get back up and fail again and get back up and fail again. And yet, most of us don't like to talk about our failures. Most of us don't like to look at our failures. Most of us like to pretend like we don't have any failures. Why is that? Why do people constantly hide the humanity of themselves? Well, I think especially now in, in this social media culture, we, begin, we build these personas 
for ourselves, and uh, we tend to start to believe what we look like on our Facebook page. And instead, we need to understand that everyone, everyone is fallible. I mean, even God fails, and I write about this in the book. Um, I gave a, a sermon after uh, I had uh, a real confrontation with my own failings, and so I spoke to the, the congregation about them very plainly, and I think it was one of my best sermons ever, in fact. But, but God um, regrets making humanity. You might remember um, when the story of Noah comes about, you know, and so God sort of gets a do-over, a mulligan um, in the creation of, of, of people. Uh, and God repents the evil. We see in Exodus 32, when um, God um, had spoken of destroying the people of Israel at the time of the golden calf incident. So we, we see God setting the example of coming back from failure. And, uh, you know, I think that's an important, um, important way for us to understand that in being a mensch, we're really trying to imitate God and bring the, the best of divine qualities into our own souls. Well, I, I love that concept because I think that, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's what my whole show's about is bringing out the best in, in all of us. And what I always like to do is come at it at different points. Um, you know, bringing out the best in us is, a, is an act of heroism. It's an act of courage. Um, for most of us, you, you know, it's just easy to stay in the comfort zone. And, and yet the comfort zone is, is exactly where we need to get out of. So right. how, how, do you, uh, how, how do you go about that with, uh, or yeah, how do you it, recommend that? And by the way, I only got 30 seconds. I got until my next segment, so let's... Oh, okay. All right. So it's the little things. It's not always the big things. There's one incident that I describe in the book of um, having a phone call from the hospital where they said that someone was near death, and um, it was, the name was identified as someone who I recognized as a person who wanted to fire me years ago, was on our synagogue board um, for so many years, but I had to overcome that jealousy, that hatred, that resentment to go and visit him and try to bring him to a, you know, to a higher level of quality of his limited time that he had left. Um, you know, I was worried as I entered the hospital room that I might, um, I might just hit his, his, my presence there might, might actually kill him. But it turned out that uh, he ended up being a different person with the same name. So um, I overcame my concern, but still managed to... Uh, I love it. To do a good thing. I love it. Well, listen, uh, we're talking to uh, Rabbi Joshua Hammerman. His book is Minch Marks. I'm sure you can get this on Amazon. Is that correct, Amazon? Yeah, Amazon. I also have a website, menchmarks.com. Okay. One word. Okay, well, stay on. We're going to come back. Uh, we're going to do the final segment with you, uh, Rabbi. So we'll be right back. We'll be back with more Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. Are you feeling stuck or in a holding pattern with your business or life and you're not doing the things you want or love? Then at some point, you're going to be faced with a decision. You'll either choose to keep living in your comfort zone and risk a life of mediocrity or increase your courage, step into your power and forge into the unknown where everything new becomes possible. If you're truly ready to live masterfully, then you need Ken D. Foster's newest book, The Courage to Change Everything, Strategies and Wisdom to Transform Your Life One Day at a Time. This powerful but 
God's Simple Guide provides you with 365 days of life-transforming wisdom, profound questions, and action steps that will increase your strength and open the doors to success. Stop wondering why your business or life isn't working. The answers are available now. Imagine if you had more courage or another chance to start following your dreams. To pick up your copy of The Courage to Change Everything, visit thecouragetochangeeverything.com. That's thecouragetochangeeverything.com. Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster. Learn more about Ken, how to be a guest on the show, and sponsorship opportunities by visiting voicesofcourage.us. And now your host, Ken D. Foster. Well, this is Voices of Courage, and today we're talking about the courage to be a hero and transcend your limitations. And I want to let women here in San Diego know, if you are a woman in the San Diego area, I want you to pay attention. There's an organization called Women's Wisdom, which has been assisting women business owners to not only grow their businesses, but grow their lives since 1991. It's a powerful networking group. They're San Diego's premier networking group, in fact, and relationship building group for purpose-driven females. You can find them at uh, womenswisdom.net. That's womenswisdom.net. I have on the line with me uh, Dr. Uh, Rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi Joshua Hammerman, and he has served as the president of the Interfaith Council of Southwestern Connecticut and the Stamford Board of Rabbis and is a chaplain for the Stamford Police Department. He's a rabbi, journalist, father, husband, Red Sox fan, and and an aspiring uh, mensch. He's got a new book out called Mensch Marks, Life Lessons of a Human Rabbi, as opposed to an alien one, I think. Rabbi, (laughs) and there are some aliens. Listen, there are some aliens walking around our planet. And I'm not talking about illegal aliens. I'm talking about people that are, I'm not sure they're of this world. (laughs) Right. Uh, But, you you know, I want to clarify that a mensch in German means man, but it can be a woman, and it absolutely does not need to be a Jew. You can be probably an alien, a Martian, you know, someone from Venus, wherever. Um, you can be a mensch just by simply being so, someone of exemplary so this character. Is, this is a universal concept. Okay, I get it. In, in all planets, in all universe, this is, this is a large concept. I like this. Well, I hear your, your podcast goes out to everyone everywhere, so it, it I'm does. assuming it's got to be at Mars, too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, well, listen, I got Spock in uh, in my uh, sound studio here. My uh, my sound engineer has given me the hand uh, shake of Spock. Um, okay, listen, I want to get serious here, though. You know, Mensch, uh, let's talk about some of the qualities of Mensch. Uh, forgiveness. Um, how does forgiveness play in being a Mensch? It plays in um, <laughs> on a very high level. Uh, it's, it's so important to be able to overcome one's feelings of anger, of jealousy, of having been wronged, of victimhood. Um, you know, I think the Jewish people have a lot of experience at being victims, um, and we have to find ways to work together with others. Uh, I wrote in one uh, chapter of the book, after the uh, situation in Pittsburgh, the shooting, the horrible shooting at the synagogue there last October, of how important it is not to turn the other cheek, which is more of a Christian concept, but actually to face not just the victims, I mean the perpetrators, but also fellow victims, 
to uh, so the Jewish community and the Muslim community, for instance, came together in Pittsburgh. So you're not turning the other cheek so much as looking other human beings in the eye, and eventually that can lead to a reconciliation that could that could catch hold way beyond a couple of people or a couple of communities. There was a, uh, a rabbi in the 19th century named Israel Salanter, who was a great Jewish moralist. And at a time of great frustration that we all feel right now um, with the world around us, he said something that's very astute. He said, at first I tried to change the world, and I failed. Then I tried to change my city, and I failed. Then I tried to change my family, and failed. Finally, I tried to change myself, and then I was able to change the world. Mm. We become more forgiving. Each of us works on that, each of us ourselves, then ultimately we will change the world. Well, you know, one thing that uh, you state in the book is that being morally evolved human being actually means to be fallible and imperfect. And I would add compassion with that. Um, it, you know, we're all striving to do better. And, and I, I think the way we do that is what you just said. You know, all, a lot of people want to change the world, but, you know, if we change our, if everybody changes themselves first, the world will be a better place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and compassion is something that does grow over time. Um, the essays, there are 42 essays in this book, very short essays. Many of them have appeared elsewhere in the past um, as, as articles, not so much as sermons. But each of them, is, they're, they're compiled thematically as opposed to chronologically. Um, because in essence, I'd like to think I'm trying to be the same kind of person that I was 30 years ago, but because I've grown with experience, and primarily the experience of failure and imperfection, uh, I think I've become wiser for it. Of course, I can't say that, because mm-hmm. if you call yourself a mensch, then you're not one. Mm-hmm. You have to have the humility to know that we're always in process of uh, working toward menschhood. Well, you know, in Chapter 3, Part 3 of the book, you talk about the nobility of normalcy. Um, and, and a part of that is just being that, he, that humble, compassionate person. But what else is involved in uh, being normal? What is normalcy? <laughs> the nobility of normalcy is, is very much a part of Jewish tradition. It's looking in the everyday things that we do, the everyday decisions that we make, the things that are in the back of the newspaper, not the front page, the, the decisions to get married, for instance, or to graduate after working for an education, or simply to observe and celebrate holidays. Or, you know, they used to have something in the newspaper called Lost and Found, mm-hmm. which uh, I think is more lost now than found, mm-hmm. um, because it's just a, a belief that if you lose something on a, on a train or, or a subway or whatever, um, people are never going to return it to you. So we have Lost and Found back in the old days, and that's heroic to pick up a lost object and bring it to someone who may need it. Um, or, you know, just donations to charity, all the little things that we do, the foods that we decide to eat, because you are what you eat. So if you eat certain kinds of foods, it makes you a healthier and better person. The boundaries that we set in our relationships, I mean, all of those things um, have to do with the nobility of normalcy. I have a, um, you wow. know, an incident that involved sort of an example of the kinds of decisions that a mensch has to make, but particularly a, a, a rabbi or a clergy person. Um, one time my son was brought to the emergency room. He was a teenager, and we brought him down there. Fortunately, it ended up not being something very serious. But, of course, at the time we didn't know. 
and as we're there with my son, a congregant came in, was wheeled in. He was unconscious. He had had a, a brain aneurysm, and his wife and two young children were with him, and they were grieving horribly, and they were so in need of their rabbi. So here I was facing this sort of Sophie's choice, a decision, do I help my son, my own child? Do I be a good parent, or do I help my congregant? You know, am I a good clergy person? So um, I think my phone is ringing, but that should stop. Um, in the end, I tried to do a little bit of both. And uh, I think through that failure at being the perfect rabbi and the perfect husband and the perfect father, I was able to be a better mensch. I love that. Trying I to, love you know, to overcome my own um, imperfections. That's great. Well, Joshua Hammerman, uh, Rabbi Joshua Hammerman, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate you coming. The book is Menchmarks, Life Lessons of a Human Rabbi, and you can get it on Amazon. Again, Mench, M-E-N-S-C-H, Marks, Life Lessons of a Human Rabbi by Rabbi Joshua Hammerman. Thank you so much for being on the show, Rabbi. I hope you'll come back and visit me sometime. This is really fascinating. Love what you're doing. I would doing. love to come out there. And, you know, I'm aiming for a million mensch march at some point, but it's going to take a million individuals to do it, not so much that we all gather together. So I'm happy to talk to you anytime. I, I love that. And uh, we have a lot in common. I have a new book coming out called uh, Courage to Change Everything. We're looking for a million courageous acts. So maybe we need to collaborate on this. Mensch, mensch. Uh, mention courage goes hand in hand I know that alright for all of you thank you so much for listening appreciate it and uh, until next week have a blessed week thanks for joining us for Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster learn more about Ken how to be a guest on the show and sponsorship opportunities by visiting voicesofcourage.us and we're always interested in what you have to say so follow Ken on Facebook Twitter and Instagram or email your questions and comments to viewer at voicesofcourage.us. Also, you can find all of Ken's previous shows by visiting voicesofcourage.us. Be sure to join us next time as Ken brings more stories of courage that will inspire greatness within you and change your life for the better. Until next time, live courageously and see the unseeable, know the unknowable, and do the impossible. This has been Voices of Courage with Ken D. Foster.